Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars episode heading into this weekend's Rolex 24 at Daytona. On the other end of the line at Daytona, we have my co-host, Graham Goodwin. Flew in last week, took part, you did run. I don't know if you actually drove a car, but I saw you running around the track during the roar <laughs> before the 24 qualifying race, Graham. Good job, by the way. We have our man Graham Goodwin on the ground. We're going to open here talking a little bit about his observations, then get to your questions you sent in uh, a little while ago. We're getting to this later than planned. Uh, So we'll do the best we can, and then I need to head off to uh, have another hole drilled in my head and a needle stuck through that hole into my ear and do some other fun stuff in my world. So let's say a big thanks, Graham, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. For supporting all that we do and then let's talk about daytona 3.65 five six miles i should say of rovoli goodness haven't been over here for a little while brother tell me about uh getting back to daytona getting into a packed paddock 61 entries weather tech championship michelin pilot challenge loaded uh paddock as well lots of stuff going on it is. It, it's. It's. But number one, it's great to be back in the states. First time back for me and for many other people as well since uh, January 2020, and uh, it's certainly a lot more packed a paddock than we had even then before uh, COVID struck. And not a lot of what I would call grid filler here, mate. It's got to be said. Every class has got real quality there, and great too to see a number of very familiar faces not just from the imsa world but also from europe and the usual all-star cast uh, turning out for this one it does feel like a bit of a rehearsal for what's coming next and we got i know we're going to get a lot of uh, news and hints about more to come on that in the coming days um the hints are that there are going to be some significant news stories breaking uh, between now and the start of the Rolex 24 uh, this weekend. Lots of storylines already in place, tending to be about teams adding races here, or I don't know if you've got a story about sadly one driver that won't make the start that was on the original entry list, and we'll come to that shortly. But it's a good place to be. Um, it's a significant more, significantly more liberal attitude to COVID control that I've been used to for the last couple of uh, couple of years. Uh, that has been something of a culture shock, but uh, lots of thank yous, thank yous to lots of people who've made it possible for me to be here. And I'm delighted to say that uh, we've been given quite the welcome from IMSA uh, as Delhi Sports Car. And for, for that matter, uh, lots of people with lots of nice things to say about this podcast. And uh, I know people would love to see you back, MP. I know that's not been possible this year, but uh, there will be other options as we move forward. Well, should we tell the story about the driver who sadly is no longer on the entry list before you give us a bit of rundown of observations and otherwise from the roar? Of course. Well, Go our, for it. our friend Guy Cosmo, and uh, always had a lot of time for Guy. I would say a, an immensely decent person and also a... Mm-hmm excellent driver of racing cars on the entry list as part of the Gilbert Kortoff Motorsports Mercedes AMG GT3 GT Daytona effort himself Mike Skeen Stephen McAleer Scott Andrews all part of the uh the four driver rotation and the number 32 Merck sadly guy's name is no longer on that car and I think it's, even though it's been just a couple days now, Graham, since Sunday's mm-hmm. qualifying race, this has been a somewhat well-traveled story already. I'm in California and I've heard it. So um, <laughs> how's this? And again, this is air quote alleged, right? Because I wasn't there. I didn't see it directly. So I'm having to go off of uh, some folks who've told it to me. But it's been a pretty straightforward telling from all. Michael Skeen also an excellent race car driver believe he was up to fourth during the qualifying race on Sunday and pit stops were coming up three cars in front of him pitted. We see this all the time, right? Uh, A car that is not a leading car inherits the lead because one, two, three, however many cars decide to peel off and pit. Hey, Hey, even if it's for one lap, 
even if we're coming in at the end of the following lap, or maybe if it's a couple more laps we're going to run before we pit, you inherit a lead that you never earned from passing the cars in front of you, strictly a function of cars leaving the active racing circuit to receive tires and fuel. Okay, again, we know this, we see this in every motor race ever, basically. Michael Skeen then pits in the lead, hands the car over to Guy Cosmo. Guy straps in. It's a good thing to do. Buckle in, boys and girls, before you go motor racing. Uh, Buckles in. Car receives service. Leaves pit lane. Goes to get back onto the track. Encounters some traffic. Some slower cars that weren't easy to get by ends up losing a position or two. I think it was two, potentially. Mm -hmm. Cars that had pitted in front of him had returned to the track. So with with him taking over a car that had pitted in the lead, but had those cars that gave him the lead returned to the track, bit of the natural order, right? Guess what? Boom, boom, boom. Those three cars are now in front, just as they were before they pitted. Again, it feels like I'm saying really obvious things here. So if you take the fact that Skeen was running fourth, got first briefly, handed it over to Guy in first. Guy did lose, I think, two positions, uh, getting up to speed, getting stuck behind some slower cars. Natural order of things, those three cars Uh, coming back on track in front of him. They end up finishing sixth, I believe it was, in in class. And and that's just off the top of my head, so I apologize if I'm wrong here. But uh, as I am told and have been told, um, and I apologize, I think they actually finished a little bit. uh, They might have finished farther back than that. But regardless, team owner was livid. Uh, team owner was absolutely livid from what I am told, uh, having seen the car go from first to sixth, believing that guy had indeed given up all of those quote six positions, lost the lead, lost the chance to win, uh, and embarrassed himself and embarrassed the team. That would not be an accurate representation he finished sixth in a field of 22 cars okay so i apologize so it was six i I didn't have the uh the exact uh results in front of me um that i'll just say that other bit again by the way in a field of 22 cars yes but that would not be an accurate representation of what happened correct again i know that technically the car did lead it was an actual lead but again it was not through actual competition passing car was restored to where it was before those cars pitted if guy is quote guilty of anything it's from losing two positions not five uh and therefore surrendering a win allegedly as i'm told the team owner did not understand that and did not want to hear the explanation uh as it's been told it was Full belief that you fell from first to sixth. Get the F out of here. You're fired. If that is half correct, that's insane. Uh, If it's 30%, it's still pretty insane. If it's 100% correct, it's... So again, allegedly secondhand, wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. But I've heard it told enough times already, Graham, to believe like... Oh, man, this just does not sound good. So what it does, though, and I, we will find out if they're going to drop another driver into that car. Oh, they man. have. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, I have. Okay. James Davison. James Davison will be in that car. Oh, that's a horrible decision. Oh, boy. No, I love James. But what does that do, Graham? So James Davison is running eighth. Seven cars in front of him at the same time, all feel the need to pit. And he suddenly, quote, inherits the lead. What do you do if I'm James Davison and I don't react fast enough to follow them? I hang a quick left 
drive across the grass <laughs> and pull right into my pit stall, incur whatever penalties are necessary, because in theory, every single driver in that car who might have the misfortune of having the cars in front of him pull into the pits and leave them in the lead would potentially give their team owner uh, a reason, uh, causation for firing if they don't somehow manage uh, magically hold on to the lead. So it feels like an untenable situation, my friend. Well, to put it to context, put away guys, sixth position in GTD in that qualifying race and putting aside all the other things I'm sure that will come up during the show. He also finished ahead of six GTD pro cars, including both the factory run Corvettes and both the new BMWs and Rizzi Competizione. Uh, I mean, it was this was not a poor result by any regard in what was a pretty frenetic race in, in GTD. Not a poor uh, result in any regard whatsoever. And remember, this is the team's debut here at the Daytona 24 Hours. Um, that, If that's true, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. And if you're listening, Guy, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm so sorry. It's that's idiocy of the most hideous, uh, uh, the most hideous sort. Uh, that's 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 not unfortunate. That's idiotic. Uh, is, is a straight answer. And yeah, well, well, let's hope that Guy finds some gainful employment soon. You're quite right. I've I've known Guy for uh, a long time, and uh, honest and decent as well as professional would be the ideal descriptors of Guy Cosmo, and uh, it doesn't deserve that at all. But uh, there you go. There's the first of the stories from the uh, from the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. There will be more, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, it is busy out there uh, when the cars are out on track, uh, MP, and the, the rolling storyline, I'm sure, is going to be the mix between GTD and GTD Pro. I've already had two people in my ear this morning. We don't have the Rolex 24 cars on track today. Um, uh, trying to influence me to write stories about how outrageous their BOP is. No. Um, in GTD Pro. I know it's astonishing. I know you can barely believe it, can't you? It's never and, happened to me before. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not having any truck with that at all. You go and race. We've had already had two big BOP changes for a number of the GTD cars and GTD Pro cars. And my view with this one is, guys, you've just got to get on with it. It's as simple as that. Uh, IMSA have a pretty good record uh, with their GT BOP in recent years. And I'm... I would rather we had the argument after a race. My, my view is always, uh, I've said it here and I've said it in writing, which is, Let's see how bad it really is by finding out just exactly how much they're prepared to give up in the big races. Um, I've sometimes been wrong, but I'll be absolutely honest with you. It's usually uh, closer to the, the right side of the equation on that front uh, that these uh, teams and manufacturers, once the, the opportunity to go and win a race and win a championship, particularly a big race, suddenly find there's something more in the locker. Um, and uh, I'm not believing some of the times and some of the things I've seen at the moment. And in some cases, here's the other news, which is we are dealing uh, with, in the case of the Corvettes, refettled and reclassified cars, and in the case of the BMWs, brand new cars. And I'm terribly sorry, guys, but you should not necessarily expect those cars first time out the box to be absolutely um, on par with the team's understanding of how to run them, uh, as you were to... Um, uh, to, to get stuck into the established order that may have been uh, around the, the block in this uh, multiple times. Yeah. Time to decide where we're going to go with the questions this week. And thanks very much to Daniel Summers Gill for putting them together and to everybody that's contributed to question. Let's start with James Counter. Who win uh, this weekend? Bold predictions. Uh, after last year, is expecting that we both think an LMP3 is going to win overall. Well, they melted down in, um, in the raw uh, and qualifying race uh, MP. What do you think? Who who are you looking for for the five classes? Oh man, you're putting it on me like that already. We're just starting the show. I got to get warmed up. <laughs> uh, let's see. Based on the amount of whinging after winning the qualifying race, 
and how there is no conceivable way an Acura could win. The Cadillacs have such a grand advantage. I mean, just truly beyond unfair, uh, almost like the universe is punishing Acura entrance uh, in DPI. Uh, You know, why don't I go with... uh, Actually, I'm not going to go with an Acura. That'd be kind of funny. Why don't we... I'm going to go totally out of left field and say the number 48 Ally Cadillac from Action Express Racing. I am choosing it coming from a place of zero knowledge to really and truly hashtag coming from a place of zero knowledge, one of Graham's best lines ever on the show. I mean, it'd be easy to say Wayne Taylor Racing is going to win their fourth in a row or whatever it is. Uh, we should, could say, without a doubt, the 31 Action Express Cadillac could pick either one of the Ganassi Cadillacs. By the way, uh, confirming from a question last week, I believe, uh, there was no typo on the entry list. Uh, they did not forget to put Cadillac Chip Ganassi Racing. They are now Cadillac Racing, period. What a rarity with Chip Ganassi obviously signing a, a very good deal one in which he agreed it was good enough to say, yes, you can take my name off the team. That's that's a rarity. I don't want to just say rarity. I really can't remember that ever happening before. But nonetheless, we could choose either of the Cadillacs from Ganassi, the 01 car in particular, uh, which I refer to as the champion's car. I think 12 top-line uh, racing championships across the drivers uh, in that car. We could pick Shank. We could pick JDC. I mean, I think this is one of the few years, Graham, where I truly believe any of the entries in the top class could win. I don't know why, but my brain is saying the 48 car. Uh, Of course, I just doomed them, and so there's no reason for them to even take the start because I have just invited uh, cartoon anvils to rain down upon them. But I'll go with the 48. I'll tell you, P2, at least looking at testing sessions at the roar and the qualifying race at the roar a little bit surprised i don't know if you were but there were some teams that i figured oh they're going to be right up front delivering mayhem and being the bestest ever 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 and i don't know if that jumped out just exactly the way that i thought so uh dragon speed for example is a team that i'm accustomed to being at or near the front and didn't necessarily feel like uh, that was immediately within their uh, their potential, but nonetheless, I where do we go? It feels like if I don't say G Drive, I'll be uh, uh, really missing out on something significant. But at the same time, the Pier One Matheson team just mm. really strong, flexing hard. 52 car, particularly. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. But, you know, the 11, too, you know, high-achieving AM and uh, good old Mr. Thomas uh, got the driver known as Burrito by the team, Jonathan Bomarito. Um, yeah. Era? Tower? Uh, I'm, I'm vacillating a bit here. But I'll just say we'll go with the 68. Uh, G drive entry. Okay, there. Um, that's where, because many rests in it, isn't it? You want to know that? Yes, because uh, if nothing else, <laughs> if everything else fails, I know that I can rely upon Rene Rast for delivering. And I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. That's the sole reason I'm choosing that is Rene's involved. Uh, there's no methodology <laughs> here. I'm just saying. Uh, this, I should have. There should have been a preemptive warning for any of those who gamble. And I don't know where the hell you would find uh, a place to gamble on the finishing uh, positions at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Don't use any of what I'm saying for it unless you like losing your money. Uh, let's see. Where should we go in LMP3? And I'm not going to spoil some of the questions that are, are poking back at my predictions from last year for P3 yet. But I love the Duquesne. I love that chassis. It, it, it's the, the Mazda RT24P of LMP3 cars. It's the little Challenger brand. Um, alas, boy, those Ligiers sure are uh, are pretty darn good. Um, why don't we 
why don't we spin the wheel of I really have no idea and go with Sean Creech Motorsport, uh, knowing the troubles that they had last year, unable to complete the season, knowing the talented lineup that they have also includes a young cat by the name of Sebastian Prio, plus an old lion in uh, Joao Barbosa. Um, I just, I'm feeling Sean Creech Motorsports again for no. Yeah. And by the way, with Milton Jakobsen in that car is really quick in a yes. P3 car. Uh, a young man who's in high demand at the moment. I, I have to tell you, I agree with you. Well, before we move on to the GTD classes, by the way, we will. Um, I'm going to just chuck in a couple of questions here. One from Matt Hawkey Hawkins and one from Nikolai B. Uh, sorry, one from Chris Ward, who wants to know, oddly enough, uh, Chris wants to know how many LMP3 cars will finish the race. You brought this on yourself, MP. Uh, Matt wants to know how many LMP2s. You bleepity bleeps. How dare you <laughs> hold me accountable for the nonsense that I spew? Truly, just deplorable people. Uh, yeah, for those who either didn't hear or uh, are new listeners after last year's Rolex 24 uh, edition, a preview edition, I predicted the brand new LMP3 class in the WeatherTech Championship would have zero finishers. And I was, how's this? My prediction was 0% finishers. My prediction was also 100% wrong. So, yes, uh, I mean, could not have been dumber than that uh, prediction. So I am glad, truly I'm glad um, being roasted uh, for that. Yeah, I mean, look, the reason I don't like doing predictions is I'm always wrong. So that's a bit of a cop-out. But hey, we've got nine cars in P3. I think vehicular reliability, which is what I was saying I believed was going to be the cause of none of them making the finish, that's still not a, a concern. So we know these cars can go 24 hours. Do I think we might have one to two that have real mechanical issues? Possibly. Sure. Bit of a, a, a fluky thing. If we go by the IMSA prototype challenge race, the standalone feeder series using LMP3s, which ran in the rain last weekend, or I think it was Friday, whenever it was. And so that was a bit of a, a modifier to what we would expect yeah, boy, they sure did a lot of running into each other or walls or tire barriers or whatever. It wasn't pretty, but that again was IPC, not the WeatherTech LMP3 class. But I, I'm i going to go with five finishers. I'm feeling like I should say six, but for whatever reason, I'm going to go with five. And I think the majority of it's just going to be crashy, bangy, oops, uh, getting taken out by a GTD something in the braking zones, whatever. So I think natural racing adversity compared to vast uh, vehicular failings will be the uh, the answer there. So let's see how right or wrong that is. Um, P2? I mean, there's no real reason to think there's going to be significant failure there out of the 10 that are entered. So why don't we go with seven? So okay. lock me in with seven of number. ten from P2 and five of nine, which I still think I should go for six, but I'll go with five. And hopefully, Graham, that gives our listeners an entire year of fodder to fire back at me for my incompetence and inaccurate predictions. Fair enough. Let's go with Cody Oakwood. Cody says, no, we've got a long season left for the DPR class before the doors shut on them for good. However, we are upon the last Daytona 24. Remarkably, Cody, they are more or less the words I've just written before starting writing this po podcast for the preview for the race. Uh, how will its history legacy uh, legacy be remembered? How will it stack up against some other top-level Daytona 24 classes from the past? What say you, MP? I think it'll be remembered fondly, Cody. I do wonder, though, if with 20 years perspective to look back, if we will remember DPI fondly for its, what, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, six-year stretch, or if we will remember it fondly as the class uh, that led into... I don't know if I want to say birthed, but basically was the 
predecessor, somewhat of the genesis of LMDH. I think assuming LMDH becomes all that we think it'll be, Graham, and has some real sustainability, I do wonder, Cody, if uh, we're going to look back at DPI and say, that was really cool. There were some very cool cars, very different cars. Not enough of them in terms of manufacturers, Mm -hmm. uh, even, frankly, grid size, but uh, it led into something bigger, better, uh, with more subscription from manufacturers and, and whatnot in LMDH. So if only the Nissan, which is really an extreme speed motorsports creation where they paid Nissan to brand it and supply uh, a motor and such, if only the Nissan was more competitive and even when it went into the hands of Core Autosport, Jeff Brown, race engineer, telling me, his son Colin Brown telling me as well, I don't know if I've ever come across a car with a narrower setup window than this Nissan, uh, Lige Nissan DPI. So if we'd been able to have that for a few more seasons, Cody, and it was, I know that they had success with it, don't get me wrong, but just very much of a hit or miss car. If we'd had that a little bit longer, uh, I think I'd feel a little bit more bullish in saying, yeah, DPI was, was truly awesome, truly badass throughout its entirety. Going into the final season, limping with two manufacturers, uh, knowing that we had at one time a peak of four, and what six ish, I believe, full time entries. Decent, but just feels like it, there was just a little something left on the table of uh, from an achievement standpoint. Excellent. Okay. Let's, uh, if we, we didn't deal with the predictions you've got for GTD, but let's do that, MP, around a couple of other questions. Brett Thomason says, what do you think will happen if a GTD entrance finishes the 24 ahead of the GTD Pro cars? Reminding our listeners that this is the debut for GTD Pro and that both those classes, GTD Pro with the red uh, number panels, GTD with the green number panels, uh, will run with identical BOP. If there's an identical car, it will run with identical BOP in both classes. Uh, so what do you think if it'll happen if a GTT entrant finishes uh, ahead of the pro cars, or at least in the top three? Is there any chance IMSA decides to have an overall GTD, GTD pro uh, podium? Daniel Summersgill, by the way, hashtag coming from a position of zero knowledge for Daniel, says, why is GTD not called GTD Pro-Am or Am when there's a GTD Pro class? Also, with conversions, would it be better for the fans if both IMSA and the ACU used the same colors for the class? So, funny. And by the way, before we forget, you also need to give us your predictions who's going to win so we know who's not going to. Jeez, the pressure you're putting on me this week. It's ridiculous. Goodwin, what are you doing? Sorry. Uh, I'm a fragile little flower. Uh, Let's see. Uh, We'll get to the predictions in just a moment. Uh, I hope, by the way, to get to the end of the race on Sunday, look at the winners and hail 100% inaccuracy in all my predictions for all five classes. That is a hope. I would actually be disappointed if I got one right. Like, I really do feel like every single one I've predicted is going to be wrong. So, fingers <laughs> fingers crossed. I've totally blown it yet again. Uh, let's see. So, Daniel, great question about GTD naming. Enough so that there might even be some confusion among teams participating in gtd slash gtd pro i've seen one or more press releases from teams where they have referred to gtd as gtd pro am or gtd am some nomenclature that is not factually correct in any way shape or form but to your point hey they've gone so far as to name one of the two pro by putting the word pro after gtd uh why don't they just make the other adjustment and call the other one am or pro am or something like that i don't know but i do know that it has confused some of the teams i do know that i forget exactly where it was but 
something I might have written or something that I, I don't know if I wrote it with, say, my own words compared to using the words from a quote that had it. One way or the other, GTD Pro-Am or GTD Am made it into something that I wrote, and I recall getting a swift uh, outreach from IMSA saying, uh, no, 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 that's incorrect. Please bear in mind these are the two naming conventions for the classes. Again, knew it, but missed that, uh, that sneaking through. I think there might have been some sort of, of message to PR reps and you name it across all GTD, Pro or M entrants saying, hey, if you're writing about it, if you're talking about it, if you're whatevering about it, GTD, GTD Pro, let's not confuse things any more than that. If you have to do that, that tells me, Graham, that indeed maybe you're coming up a little bit short, right? If you're having to tell folks how not to mess something up that seems fairly straightforward, but there's still enough people that are prone to messing it up, maybe that's something to consider. Uh, GTD Pro, GTD Am seems like a, a pretty straightforward way to do things, Daniel, but that's not what we have here. Um, <clears throat> as for uh, better for fans if both IMSA and the ACO use the same colors for the classes, as you mentioned here, I would say you'd have to be a significantly hardcore sports car fan. Maybe you agree, Graham, to follow both series and remember <laughs> uh, what color is what and there being unity across the two and it having significance in competition at Sebring, uh, Le Mans, etc. Not saying it's a bad idea, it'd be a good idea, but I just don't know how many folks who follow sports car racing are really thinking this deep in terms of uh, organizational vehicular coloring alignment. So uh, I figure if you follow this stuff close enough to know to ask a question like that, you probably don't actually need those colors to know what you're looking at. Uh, let's get to, let's get to predictions here. Uh, whose races am I utterly destroying uh, by calling them out? Uh, Risa Competizione is going to win GTD Pro. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Duh. Hello. Uh, and in GT Daytona non-pro, unpro. That's we got the naming Unpro, GTD Pro yes. and GTD Unpro. There we go. Hashtag GTD Unpro. Well, I'm not going to be choosing Gilbert Kortoff Motorsports for this one, unfortunately. Um, why don't I'm just going to go totally stupid, which is, I bet, a bit of an expectation. I'm going to go Carbon with Peregrine Racing. Oh, deal with it, suckers. Look, looks great. The car, by the way, it's the ex Paul Miller car, isn't it? Yes. Um, bought by Carbon and delivered by the, well, how can I say this? The uh, sublimely talented Andy Blackmore. Eh, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised the guys lasted this long, right? I mean, does it, does anybody have you heard anybody ever compliment his work? That's that's what you know. We, we got to be real here. Thing is, skating along. Yeah, I mean that that that, that spotter's guide. Mm. <sighs> I, I can't tell a thing. Again, this guy. Now look, the fact that he still uses crayons as his primary medium. I got to give him props on now, that. Though. I got to give him props on he that. He does sharpen. Yeah, but. He's allowed, he's allowed a sharpener now. Is he after the good? Really? So. I don't know. Kidding aside. We love ourselves. I'm Andy Blackmore. Uh, if you want a livery for your motor racing vehicle, uh, find him. Ask him to do that. Many teams do. Uh, he'll do yours. Oh, actually, I say, should say, by the way, um, I put up the story this morning on Delhi Sports Car, mm -hmm. uh, linking to the Spotter's Guide for not just for the Rolex 24, but also for Michelin Pilot Challenge as well. And uh, there's a separate... Uh, graphic in that story, which is all the cars that Andy has liveried here this weekend, which, by the way, include the safety team vehicles. Exactly. And I'm glad that he did uh, 
I'm glad that he did the safety vehicle livery so we could tell them apart from all the other rival <laughs> safety team trucks that uh, might burst out on, right? Every you know? single car in Molly uh, livery, everyone, all of them. For no reason, I'm giving my dear friend Andy a hard time. I mean, he and I, you know, we're, we're chatting all last night back and forth. Um, but yeah, hey, sometimes shots fired for no reason. Um, it's a guy thing. Uh, we keep coming back to Guy. Would you leave Cosmo alone? Uh, Graham Goodwin, I have like 30-ish minutes before I need to run out the door and go get uh, Should we move on? Should we move stuff? on from a little bit of... Uh, let's, let's move into a bit of Weckhouse Elms, Elms and Aco. I fully support that decision. Uh, why don't we move my mouse over to a place where I can ask those questions? Uh, Esteban says, Hello from Argentina. Hey! Opinions on the Peugeot LMH car. Do you see Toyota next mm-hmm. year running in the 24 hours of Daytona? Okay. Um, well, opinions on the, the Peugeot, I think it's refreshingly different. Um, I've got a couple of pieces to come uh, in the next day or so. One with a driver who has driven it, and one with a driver who's about to drive it. And for me, I think there's the two really good things about this, uh, this program. One is the car is fantastically different from anything we've seen before and i suspect anything we'll see to come uh, the second thing is it does appear as if peugeot sports have had a personality transplant since the last time uh, they raced at this level they were not always the easiest to get information out of or to get a sense of uh, goodwill from back in the day and that is fundamentally different now uh, the communication has been great. They are having fun with the no rear wing uh, story, which I think is always a good thing where, where uh, organizations of that kind of level are not taking themselves too seriously. They clearly know that this is a, this is a car a program that has caught people's attention and imagination. And I think that bodes well for the future. Uh, it is utterly completely different from anything else we've got at the moment in the hypercar class and that includes lmdh the cars we've uh, the cars we've seen even renders of so far and it's utterly different came before and i think that's something we should all be grateful for uh there is one and only one uh, angle that the car looks quite odd from it's a kind of low front three quarters angle it does look a little bit like a kind of large gt car with a mohawk uh, but it remains to be seen whether or not that's the car we finally see this is of course early testing but i think the signs are good they're coming forward with a competitive proposition and with the right spirits that will bring a fan base with that car that's that's what i think and it's great to hear uh, you from argentina Esteban. i will <clears throat> also recommend I don't know if there's a, a reset or something, but you are, are starting to work towards a uh, more gravelly, uh, fuzzy digital sound. Or maybe we keep that. Maybe this is Robo Goodwin. Uh, not quite RoboCop, but a Robo Endurance Racing reporter and commentator. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's the hot tip here. Um, if you can... That's any better. No, but hey, Ooh. we will... Uh, We'll, we'll live with it for as long as we can. Uh, Stephen Gate, we're, we're sticking with the Pugiot 9X8. I did have someone in high school uh, pronounce Peugeot as Pugiot. Uh, that was a pretty fun <laughs> thing. Uh, also, someone pronounced it P-Gay. So, anyways, uh, we'll just bounce around mispronunciating uh, Pugiot. Uh, now that we've seen the car with new rear winglets, front dive planes and a triangular-shaped air intake. New aero configs are clearly already being tested, Stephen says. Do we think the team are actually further along in testing than some are, say, reporting, and maybe Spa or Le Mans entries could be a realistic possibility? Uh, Well, first things first, I'm hearing nothing other than this car will... Uh, as far as testing and simulation work has gone so far, we're going to see this car without a rear wing, as we saw in the concept, as we've seen the car in early testing. Will there be nips, tucks, and tweaks? Inevitably so, and that's the reason why 
they're not committing full Sebring, so we won't see them at Sebring, and we don't yet know when we will see them. The reason for that is very simple. They they want to and indeed need to present that car uh, in, in as competitive a form as they possibly can because it's a long homologation period for hypercar. Yes, there are jokers you can bring in, in fact, multiple jokers through the, the, um, the homologation period of the car, but the basic car will need to be competitive from day one. And that's why you're going to see a slight delay. And I suspect you'll see a slight delay to other programs as well for very similar reasons. If you like, the cost to this sustainable converged uh, class is that these cars are going to be with us for quite some time. And we will see some, as I say, nip tucks and tweaks. Uh, but um, yeah, I think you'll see some changes to that car as the testing goes along. They will learn more about that package but everything i'm hearing and from multiple sources is that what they're seeing in the early tests of the car uh, is very encouragingly close to what they've seen from the simulation data uh, before the car was a real thing that is only going to be good news if like me you want to see the real car on track and competitive trim as soon as possible the closer it can be to the point they thought it should be that the more likely it is that we're going to see that car sooner rather than later. All righty then. Uh, Gustavo Bamba, LMDH question. Says Porsche testing. BMW, BMW will do it in June. What about Acura, Cadillac, and Audi? Uh, any thoughts? Uh, the Peugeot car at Aragon is very different from the show car. Uh, as he mentioned, we've already covered off a little bit. Um, I've heard similar timelines. Gustavo, the June-ish timeline possibly for Cadillac. I would be surprised if Acura wasn't. Acura is about the same. Yeah, yeah Acura in or around the same. Yeah, maybe a little later than June. Does an Audi LMDH actually exist right now? I don't know. Um, what have you heard, Graham? Know, what might we add? Does. I think the, the answer with Audi, MP, is that they, they have to wait for the homologation or at least a car that they're confident can be homologated for Porsche first. It's effectively a rebodied version of the same car. That's the reality. So Audi will follow on from Porsche. So reasonably speaking, to see uh, to the, for the uh, progress on the Audi, see Porsche. Uh, it will be rebodied. It will look dramatically different, is what I've been told from the Porsche we've already seen early shots from. I don't think you're going to have to wait very long, much longer to see some more of that Porsche, by the way. As you said on last week, uh, last week's show, it won't be here this week at the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona. We don't yet know when the public reveal will be, but I think a lot of us could probably bet that uh, if you're at the Super Sebring uh, meeting in March, uh, there's every chance that there might be an opportunity to see the car on track, uh, or at least on display uh, there. But by the middle of this year, I think we're going to see most of what um, is going to be on offer. But what I'm waiting for is what are we going to see, what it's going to look like with the Ferrari LMH car. We've seen nothing of that so far. So there's lots and lots of really cool stuff to come. And that's just with the cars that come next year. We then get into all sorts of questions about what happens at 24, and that's a whole set of different stories. And that, by the way, is just prototype. Brace yourselves for what's coming with the rest of it. Okay, we're going to go to... Couple left to go above the red line of death as decreed by Daniel Summersgill. Stuart Hart, what do you think the Volkswagen Group's medium to long-term LMH and LMDH plans are, Graham? Strong rumors. Lamborghini will arrive in 24, maybe 2025. Uh, I can mention, by the way, uh, have said and trailed more than once that there have been strong rumors that a Lamborghini program might be announced here this weekend or leading into this weekend at Daytona can tell you i've heard that that is very unlikely now very very unlikely um leave it at that um says strong rumors lamborghini will arrive in 24 25 they still talk about bentley uh the volkswagen folks they they're following the gt3 customer business model maybe with similar factory backed teams like wrt and so on and so on and so on um mm -hmm. Give us some thoughts on uh, Stuart's many, okay. many questions. There's about 19 more uh, here, but uh, give us some thoughts. What do you think the strategy might be? VAG. Pro the, 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 the versus general question. customer model. 
Yeah, VAG discuss is basically the question, isn't it? Look, there's no doubt whatsoever that any and all brands that come out of the uh, the VAG group into LMDH, that absolutely is a strong strand here of customer uh, cars as part of the uh, the finance package, if you like, longer term uh, for this. There are clearly some open questions about brands, uh, Porsche and Audi, and their potential involvement in Formula One as to whether or not that will have an impact on how long the factory-backed side of LMDH uh, will be. Um, I can tell you right now, I'll explode any myths that the Audi LMDH will not happen. Uh, as I know, one or two outlets have suggested that's been com completely debunked by senior sources at Audi. Um, I think it's a very open question as to what the full uh, corporate strategy about motorsport with VAG and their brands is going to be over the next two, four, five, ten years. And there's every reason to believe that the customer side of things might well become a lot more important, maybe sooner rather than later. But uh, do I think we're going to see factory programs for both Audi and for uh, Porsche next year? Yes, I do. Do I think there's going to be a multi-year commitment to that? Well, if you call multi at least two years, yes, I do. Do I think we're going to see customer cars for both of those as early as 2023? Yes, I do. Uh, Lamborghini, as you say, I think we will hear about Lamborghini soon, but not as soon as we possibly expected. Bentley, watch this space. Um, I'm chasing a story this week that could be a very interesting one on that front. Uh, one, by the way, that you and I have not yet discussed, MP, uh, but it's a very interesting strand. Bentley and prototypes of the future is far from dead, far from dead. Uh, so it's an exciting time in terms of factory involvement. It's an exciting time in terms of the potential for privateer cars in the VAG brands, multiple brands uh, coming forward as well. The key to it is going to be, can those customers sustainably afford to purchase these extremely expensive cars and more to the point to run them? Um, what I'm going to be looking for is which teams decide that that's the way they're going to go. Can they pull together a multiple year program? Can they pull together a program that involves more than one car? Because then you're getting into real money, real big, big money. So I think the answer is that there is exciting times to come both on the factory and the privateer side. We're yet to see what kind of numbers are achievable and then sustainable in privateer hands because the numbers are much bigger than anything we've seen so far for privateer sports car racing on the international scene. Just got an invitation to have Amelia Hartford on the podcast, actor, YouTuber, mm -hmm. world record breaking pro car builder, driver, and entrepreneur. Um, mm. The offers we get, man, they're freaking awesome. Uh, let's see, we're going, we have two to go. Jeff Easterling, I am pronouncing you our penultimate Weckasm Elms Echo questionnaire of the episode. He asks a question I have asked and gotten nothing, yep. nothing, nothing whatsoever. Any word on what the new Porsche LMDH will be formally named, hoping for the 920 as both a follow-up to the 919 and to chase their 20th overall win at Le Mans. Can you tell it? Graham, let's do it. Let's break it. Give it here. Tell I folks we it. know it. Nobody else does. What is the car going to be called? It's going to be called the Porsche. R18. No, no, just, the, I, mean, I don't know what the rest of it calls. I mean, obviously, I don't, no one's announced it. There's not been a press release. Nobody's leaking it. But it's going to be called a Porsche. Sorry, was that not the question? It's part of it. I confused myself. Sorry. No, well, okay, so we, uh, we will reveal. Um, they did an in, internal poll. They had either 920, R18, or TS050, and they've chosen TS050. So, a yeah. little bit of a controversial call there, but uh, I like it. Um, I have heard in 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 tribute to the uh, the one well, of the longest serving factory drivers that um, has now stepped down from uh, full factory duties. It's going to be called the Porsche Plong. Ooh, the Plongy. Yes, the plongy. yes, the Plongy. All right, Chad Randall, 
at CDR2US on the tweeters. He asks, and I, I appreciate this question, Chad, because it needs yep. some dicing up here. How big of an impact is the news of Pascal's or Linden going to Multimatic? Is this to assist in LMDH development, I assume? Um, it might be the last question in this category, Graham, but it's okay. actually a meaty and, and a good one for you to it's dive into. It's a great into. one. It's, it's an enormous signing for Multimatic. Um, there are lots of people in the orbit of Porsche that are uh, were very sad indeed to see Pascal Zalinda leave Porsche Motorsports, a man of real talent, humanity uh, as well, by the way. Um, so he was a real people person. And it is fair to say that I think they are already missing him there, including, um, as I said to a couple of people in the paddock here this weekend, I've not seen, I don't think anybody's yet seen, a list of Porsche factory drivers for this year. We'd normally have that before uh, the end of a, uh, uh, a calendar year. But uh, I, I think his influence within the Multimatic business, which is a huge business, by the way, is going to be multifaceted. They've got multiple programs uh, underway with race cars, road to race cars, and road cars. Uh, amongst the things, by the way, that Multimatic are doing uh, in their special vehicle side is they are building all of the Aston Martin Valkyries. They are building all of the AMG One uh, hypercar, supercar, road car um, models, as they did with the 4GT. Plus, they've got multiple interests in multiple levels of uh, motorsports, some of which they are perfectly happy to have out there, some of which they like to keep rather quieter. But I can tell you there is Multimatic involvement in multiple teams in the paddock here this weekend. Um, and there will be more to come. And I think you're going to be hearing more to come uh, in the coming days, uh, if, we're, if we're correct, MP. Is that correct? I think so. Believe so. Yeah. Um, and very by the way, so. that the, the, the fact that we've got Multimatic factory drivers in multiple cars this year is also a statement of intent that they are looking after their talents. They're keeping their powder very dry in terms of where you'll see some of those very well known faces uh, and names in 2023 and beyond. But um, and I spoke to uh, multiple people on the technical and on the the, the uh, driving talent side, there are no unhappy people at Multimatic right now. It's as simple as that. Some very exciting things are coming, and I'll say it again, I think that's a massive signing for Multimatic in Pascal Zellenden, and I think that is indeed a statement of intent about the way in which that business is going to be driving forward in the motorsport marketplace. Well, brother man, I've got 11 minutes before I need to bounce out the door. Where shall we go? What shall we do? I'm going to chuck one your way. It comes from Hank McCarthy. Hank's, it will be his first time at the Daytona 24 this weekend. His wife is coming with him. Excellent. Uh, by the way, what a joy to see families in this paddock. I've not seen families in a racing paddock for two years until here. And it, so it, it was a surprise to me how happy that made me uh, made me feel uh hank says uh, i can ask this one to you any suggestions the best things to see fun things for his wife since she isn't super into motorsports uh, since she is or isn't super in isn't. isn't got it um well is she into cars at all hank because if so there tends to be a pretty cool vendor midway with a lot of new models to go and look at and check out Beyond that, uh, if you've brought someone who isn't super into racing to a very long motor race, uh, that might be a challenge, brother. Um, the fun part about Daytona Beach, I guess, is when it's a few months later in the year and it's warmer, uh, with the cold front meant to be part of this weekend's event, there's not a whole lot to do in Daytona that one would traditionally go to Daytona for. So maybe she could drive into Orlando or something like that. Um, I honestly don't really know how, what you're going to do here, Hank, if your, uh, your spouse is not super into racing and you're at a two day long motor race. So I don't have a lot for you there, but if you're staying in a hotel, if you've got a motor coach, I'm not sure what, 
this is not an uncommon thing to do where you say, dear spouse, uh, if you don't want to be here, is it okay if I'm here and you find things to do that interest you that don't involve motor racing? Um, that's about all I got for you, man. Uh, as for best things to do, fun things to do for you, uh, make sure you do a lot of walking around and watching from as many corners as possible because that is one of the cool parts of the Rolex 24. You can see everything, and you can get up close to a lot of things. So I just don't have anything that comes to mind there that you'd say, oh, well, hey, they have a really nice upscale restaurant you could go to on site, or there's some sort of something that is you know, really more family-oriented uh, that isn't so specific to racing where you could say, hey, you could probably go enjoy yourself for six hours here. There's a spa, a massage, you know, therapist, whatever, like just some of the things, the pampering things one might want to do if they're uh, traveling out of town to go to some sort of thing. So I don't know of those things really being at Daytona. So take a look around and just be prepared for a bit of a split schedule. Uh, I'll add one thing, by the way, which is, if I'm correct, we've actually got two launches due, one tomorrow, one Saturday, uh, at Cape Canaveral. Uh, I believe we've got uh, two Falcons due to go uh, this week, and that's something I'm looking forward to. I've only seen it happen once in Florida. I've seen an Ariane in Frenzkiana. Well, that's spectacular. But uh, we had one during Super Sebring. Uh, but uh, there are supposed to be two launches, and if this weather clears, which it might, that might be something quite cool to, to see. So keep an eye on the uh, the relevant web resources to find out whether or not that's going to happen or delayed and exactly in which direction you need to be looking for that. But the uh, great thing about this place is you can walk around on the infield. There's plenty of stuff, as Marshall says, to, to um take your time and uh, grab a few bucks from you but uh, you there are lots of places you can see these cars behaving in all sorts of different ways i do love a walk around the infield particularly in darkness here um i could ask one more for you mp and uh this one comes from andrew baxter last week he said he says that we said we don't answer enough questions for him his question this week is where well what's up with that um he says dan binks cut a gtlm engine in half to make a midget engine SCG has two WRC engines welded together. What's the wildest this engine has become a diff completely different engine story you can think of? Should we even take his question, Graham? I, I, I'm not sure I like him. I'll be honest with you. Oh, I'm sure I don't like him. So, I mean, be clear <laughs> on that. I mean, come on, man. Um, kidding aside. I could, give you, I could give you one, and it's, it's, it's kind of not quite what he's asking but i'm going to give it to you anyway because it relates to our soon to be revealed next tune oh okay. yes so can we tell them what the tune is of course of course well the tune the tune this this is this rolex 24 is the 20th anniversary race for Delhi sports car and um, with massive thanks to mp and of course to roger warwick you're wonderful what roger i love you dearly the next tune is the eclipse motorsport tvr a very special car indeed in, in dsc history and for those that know uh, the car it's because it was fully Delhi sports car delivered in our original year um now that car uh, in 2002 our anniversary year um comprehensively destroyed its straight six tvr uh, engine at knock hill and uh i know what happened to that engine uh, that engine was uh, bought uh, scrap value by shane lynch um boy band singer and pretty exceptional race driver uh, for a non-professional uh, he had that thing comprehensively steam cleaned and to this day that engine sits in the bottom of his fish tank with Jeez. a more than fish-sized hole in the side of it. Well, good. I, I'm glad it, its failure has been preserved. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I have a great sports car answer for you, Andrew. But maybe the one that I, I've enjoyed the most uh, for many years maybe comes back to Formula One and some of the Formula One feeder series from uh, like late '50s to. 
uh, through the 60s, and that was Coventry Climax. There were uh, a lot of F1 um, wins and success uh, with a Coventry Climax engine, four, inline four-cylinder compared to a V4. But uh, four-cylinder Coventry Climaxes maybe being the most popular uh, selection there. The These being British Motors, Formula One, success. Came from things like forklifts, buses. Um, I'm trying to remember what else... Uh, like fire trucks, like it was a fire pump. It was the it was the basic engine used by. Uh, well, actually, you, I kind of pull along a fire pump. It was a you know a very hardy engine indeed, fire pump. Yeah. So, but it was very much of a. Do you need some sort of stout, reliable mill to again? It could power some sort of small vehicle. Could be a smallish bus could be utility something could be farming related could be whatever it was just a very good universal uh, motor for that application and i love the fact that as graham mentioned it could be pumping water uh, to help put out a fire or you could go win the monaco grand prix with it so i love that kind of lateral thinking but also got to think about the time where formula one's regulations were not as such where the engines were massive needed to make insane amounts of power so you could look to something like this and say yeah that would apply hard to think how anything in the uh, the real world might apply to say today's formula one or or whatever else in this capacity but yeah i love that lateral thinking of like oh this little thing that just keeps ticking over in the corner doing menial tasks let's go grand prix racing so that's my choice, and I will will put out the call to Daniel Summersgill. Uh, continue ignoring most of uh, Baxter's questions, but don't be afraid. Just to, ignore most of them. Yeah, put put a few more above the red line of death. Is I'm getting hiccups, so I'm having a physical reaction to reading one of your questions, <laughs> Andrew. That's how much my body is fighting this. How long we got, MP? Uh, well, one minute. So. Let's uh, do this. It's here. very simple. It comes from Pumpkin, um, who says, if you two could make the decision, which sports car endurance driver would you want to be FIA president? Don't say Christoph Bouchou. For the love of God, don't say Christoph Bouchou. I mean... I know who I'd have there. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 there was no restriction on current. Um, I'm going to go with Randy Lanier. Yeah, I mean, you know, right? I, I can't tell you if all the decisions are going to be sound. Those, the end of year gala, banquet, whatever, those are going to be fun. Oh, those are going to be fun. Granted, fun up until the FBI, CIA, DEA, Interpol, and you name it, raid the joint. But up till that point, it's going to be freaking epic. So. That's my call. I'm going I'm to go for the combination, um, the business-like combination of Alan McNish, because let's face Boo. it, if he's going to make a decision, you're going to get no change there. Um, I don't think there'd be any messing about with the Michael Massey uh, uh, the, uh, issues on that front. And uh, just for the other side of the fence, James Weaver. I think that could be fun. Why would you do that to James? He's too good of a person to get stuck with all that nonsense and garbage. Right. Come on. Um, Marino Franchitti. That's who we'll throw in okay. as well. Uh, we need. I feel like we need one more. Who are we missing? Um, Oh, it's always a, it's a good one. Well, you notice that we're not chosen as, uh, other than me telling you you can't have Christophe Bouchou. Uh, not one single Frenchman. Not one. No comment. Um, <laughs> God, who? Uh, Tracy Crone. Ooh. I actually think he'd be excellent at it. Granted. He would? All of a sudden, though, the fuel, all fuel would be sold through his uh, various oil uh, exploration businesses. But uh, he seems like a fun. You know what? We, we I've missed the best one of all. Ben Keating. 
right? Oh, now come on. That's spot on. He's the best guy. He's the heart of endurance racing, right? Biggest passion guy. Like we all dream of being him to not only have the financial means to do it, but the talent as a non-pro oh, yeah. who, you know, kind of butts up against uh, pro drivers at time in terms, you know, some pro drivers um, in terms of pace and competence and would drive seven cars in each race if he was able to. So I actually think he'd be perfect. No joke. Like our sport would be better off if that guy was in charge of things because uh, he's also has a lot of experience on the manufacturer side as a car salesman, yep. someone who's deep, deeply stuck in with the sales, the promotion side, understanding the proverbial win on Sunday, sell on Monday. like And it, the pressures, and the pressures of the marketplace right now. Yes. So I'm going with a new global motorsports boss from Texas who has sold a heck of a lot of Dodge Vipers. All right, Graham Goodwin, um, I need to be there in eight minutes now, which won't happen, but uh, take us home. I'll take it home. Uh, so thanks very much to all of you once again for sending in a fantastic bunch of questions. Thanks for Daniel for putting it together. Thanks, of course, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com for their continuing uh, support for the Marshall Pro podcast. I'm in Daytona. I'm Graham Goodwin. He's on the other side of the US. He's Marshall Pruitt. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. We will speak to you next week. <laughs>